views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, everyone. I'm Gene Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. So how many of you have watched Shrinking? Gotta say, totally recommend it. It stars Jason Siegel and Jessica Williams and drumroll here, people, Harrison Ford, who is amazing at 80 or 81 or whatever he happens to be. Anyway, no spoilers here. You can keep listening. But the show follows a therapist named Jimmy who is dealing with severe grief. And he basically begins to cross a lot of ethical lines by telling his patients what he really thinks, which is hilarious, but also results in massive changes to both his life and their lives. Harrison Ford plays the role of Paul, who is a senior therapist in the same practice. He's a colleague, a mentor, really, of Jimmy's. And Paul has Parkinson's disease. Now, for those of you who've not experienced Parkinson's, and there is a lot of it in my family, it is a brain disorder that causes unintended, uncontrollable movements like shaking and stiffness and difficulty with balance and coordination. And symptoms usually begin gradually, get worse over time. And as the disease progresses, many people have difficulty walking talking. Nearly a million people, most notably probably Michael J. Fox, who was diagnosed particularly young and has raised both money for research as well as awareness with his platform and his foundation. Nearly one million people are living with Parkinson's in our country, a number that's expected to rise to 1.2 million by the year 2030. And Parkinson's, with these big numbers, is only the second most common neurodegenerative disease after Alzheimer's. The Alzheimer's numbers are even worse. More than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. By 2050, that number is projected to more than double. One in three seniors dies with Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. So why, you may wonder, are we going down this oh-so-sad rabbit hole? Because the rising numbers of diseases like Parkinson's, like Alzheimer's, alongside longevity in general, they have contributed to a caregiving crisis in this country. And that is really what we're going to talk about today. 
It is an incredibly important topic. More than 55 million Americans are expected to require some form of long-term care in the next 30 years. So we're going to talk about that, how to get what you need, how to pay for it. We're also going to expand the conversation a bit to talk about insurance a little more broadly with a focus on both life and disability policies. And because I certainly don't want to have this conversation by myself, I want to welcome Andy Smith back to the show. Andy is a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. He's not only one of the smartest planners I know, he's somebody I can count on to bring the fun. So Andy, welcome back. Gene, always good to talk with you. So that was kind of a... uh, a heavy duty <laughs> opening to yeah. this show. But, you know, when we're talking about money, protecting ourselves, protecting the people that we love and we care about, it's something that we don't talk about often enough precisely because we don't like to talk about things like this. It, it's really tough, right? So people, a lot of times, um, kind of self-divide into two groups. There's the group that runs to trouble. Mm-hmm. And they realize that there are issues and they realize that you'd rather have the tough conversation now so that you have some time to deal with whatever is coming. And then there's the people who just find any excuse possible, right? It's like when you were studying in school and you found some reason to clean your, to like organize your sock drawer or any number of other <laughs> things, right? So what happens is you have to understand that if you don't own life insurance, If you don't have enough life insurance, no matter what you think or what excuse that you have in terms of you think it costs too much or there's any other reason that's there, you're really putting yourself in harm's way. So I've got a couple of pieces of information. I share this with clients all the time. Um, These numbers, now they're from before the pandemic, but to give you a sense of the scope of the issue, 46% of people have no life insurance. Okay, so 54 do, that's great. 46%, nothing. Of that group, of this survey, 44% said that they would really be jammed up. They'd really be in Mm -hmm. harm's way after about six months of having to basically deal with the policy in front of them, meaning they likely don't have enough coverage of whatever's there. The other thing to remember too is that's, you know, what, a couple months, 28%. People said that they'd be in harm's way. They'd be really jammed up after about a month of no income, basically having to deal with just this policy. So there are a number of issues that people have. There has to be some sort of conversation about this because people are going into this with eyes wide shut and they don't realize what's happening. And sometimes people have trouble sort of figuring out do I need this? Yes, you do. And, What's your question? Do I need this? Yes, but, you do. Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe, yeah. right? I mean, my way of framing it has always been, take the word life out of it. Just think of it as income insurance. Right. And if somebody, a family member, a spouse, a business would be lost without you or your income, then the answer is yes. I mean, there are single people out there who have no dependents who don't need life insurance, but many, many people do. Yeah, many people do. And, you know, what I tell people is that you have to understand that the purpose of life insurance changes as your life changes. Um, There are different products to look at. There's different amounts to have. But the idea is, is that insurance basically replicates an income stream when 
you are no longer with us, right? So what happens is people, again, come up with all these different excuses. Don't make an excuse, right? If you are a key demographic where you probably need to consider buying a policy, you need to consider buying a policy. So to that end, a lot of people think that it's expensive. It's really not expensive. It's right? really not expensive. Cost cannot be an excuse when when term life policies in particular are right. so inexpensive. Yeah, and so we'll get to this in a little bit. So th- there's lots of different types of policies, right? Term insurance, you kind of rent it for a term. It's a, a limited period of time, but term insurance can be pretty inexpensive. I've got some notes, you know, on average, a 50-year-old male non-smoker in good health can get a $500,000 20-year term life insurance policy, $118 a month. All right, so that's a male, a healthy female could pay on average about $92 a month. So when you think about how much maybe you're going out to eat, when you think about all this other garbage that you're buying online, you know, at all hours of the day, hey, $118 a month, and that's for a half a million dollar policy. Right. Everybody has different needs. You know, there's all these different numbers to look at. However, it's not as expensive as you think. How much do you need? I know that's the half million dollar question, but how much do you need? Uh, So I'll give you an example. So think about a half million dollar policy, okay? $500,000 divided by two. We've got $250,000, right? $250,000 take away a zero. Mm -hmm. We're at $25,000. If you think that you can live on $25,000 a year or your survivors or your family can deal with and and make use of $25,000 a year, $2,083 a month, then that's probably enough. If you think that your survivors are going to get jammed up with having only $25,000 a year, $2,083 a month, probably that $500,000 policy isn't enough. And the math that you're doing here, when you take that $500,000, you're basically investing it and saying, what's it going to spill off? Yeah, what what is the potential income it can derive? What can you do with these dollars over an extended period of time? 500000 divided by two, you get two fifty. All right, but let's say I want to pay off the mortgage. Yep. Let's say I want to put my kids through college. Let's say I have a spouse who's not in the workforce and I want to make sure that there's enough to get him or her retrained so that then they can earn an income for the family. What if they're all these ancillary things? Uh, This is a one size fits none sort of situation. So what I do is when we start to have these conversations, try to ask the same things that you're mentioning, right? What's the need? What are you trying to do? Who's going to be left? What are their needs? You know, you talk about different situations. A lot of time business owners or a lot of times uh, even older couples when the kids have already launched, they still have debt. Mm-hmm. Do I need insurance? Yeah, probably, maybe, because that policy could then kind of erase whatever outstanding debt's there. So when we talk about this with clients, we're really trying to get a sense of what's the issue, what does it mean, and then what does it mean to you? And then we start figuring out, is 500000 enough? Do you need a million, a million five? But you know, again, it's not a situation where you say, this is how old I am, and this is how good of health I'm in, and this is how much I think I need. Everybody's different. You line up 5, 10, 15, 55-year-olds, all of their needs could be entirely different. In that example that you threw out before, the 50-year-old non-smoker, 
that was a term, term. policy. Yep. It was a level premium term policy, 20-year level premium term policy. How do you know what kind of insurance you want? So there's different types. The cheapest, um, the easiest to think about is that term policy. You're going to have this policy for a defined period of life, a defined term. Um, sometimes people think about it as though they are renting the policy. Well, the issue is the premiums at the beginning are pretty cheap because you're younger and there's not a lot of issues. As you age and get closer to that term date, theoretically, the policy premiums could dramatically increase. And so, yes, you can reinsure yourself after that term is up, but the numbers are going to be pretty big. Okay, so that's term. You own it for a period of time, but it's not around forever. And if you've got one of those level term policies, they've just basically said, we're going to keep you at the same premium for 20 years or 30 years so that you don't have to stomach those increases if you bought a policy at 50 and now you're 70. Yeah. And a lot of the the level premiums you see in the whole life policies, so that's the other type or another type, uh, whole life, you own it, right? This is sometimes people call it permanent life insurance, but you own it for your entire life. The difference with whole life is sometimes there's a cash value component. So you have a death benefit, but then you also have cash value that you can use for loans or policy loans later in life. You can at some point decide to do away with the policy and you've got this cash value to do something with. A lot of times we see those level premiums with the whole life policy. So when you're first starting out and the insurance agent says, this is your policy premium, you kind of do a double take and throw up in your mouth a little bit and realize how much you're spending for insurance. But then down the road when you have assets and you have means and your income is different, it's a level policy premium. So it's a different amount that you're paying for than throughout the the life of that policy. But on the outset, it's basically how long are you going to have that policy? Is it a defined term or is it your entire life? And if you've got a special needs child or you think for whatever reason you need to maintain insurance through your whole adult life, are you better off just biting the bullet earlier and going with a permanent whole life or universal life policy? We'll talk about universal in a sec. I'll ask you about that. But are you better off biting the bullet? Are you better off? I mean, the problem that I have with some of these permanent policies is that when you're very young and you have young kids and you really do need a lot of insurance, they're tough to afford. Um, What I would say is everybody's a little bit different. There are situations where, yes, you are planning for a special needs situation where in the event that you or your spouse or the parents are no longer around, you have to provide for the care for the child. There are situations where you're dealing with business entities or partnerships and you have some sort of buy-sell agreement or first-to-die, last-to-die, you know, sorts of policies. And there's all these different kind of ways that you can approach it. I like people to think of it as what tools in your toolbox are you going to use? And if you hire some, let's say you hire a contractor and you want them to build a patio on the back of your house, you don't really care what color handle the screwdriver is. You want to make sure that the screwdriver isn't going to be used as a hammer, right? Can you do it? Yeah. Is it effective? Probably not. So when we approach it, and I would encourage you, if you have questions about this, to get with somebody 
because this is a big deal, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be a big deal for you because you're gone, but for everybody else that's trying to pick up the pieces, know that there are different ways to approach it. A, don't necessarily feel that you got to buy the first thing that the agent's pushing at you. B, make sure that you understand what it is that you're buying and looking at. And C, understand what these different tools and policies are doing for what you're trying to accomplish. If all you're trying to do is ensure and create some modicum of an income stream after we lose you, maybe go the cheapest route. Buy term, invest the rest. If you're looking at different things, if cash value is important, if health is a concern. A lot of times you have these conversion options with term policies. And sometimes there are rather dramatic health issues that come at a family out of left field and you are forced to kind of consider things that you never thought that you'd have to consider. Maybe consider converting term because there's no qualification uh, physical, right? You're able to do that. But again, there's all these different tools. You have to understand what you're trying to accomplish And what's the best thing to use for that? Universal life insurance is another tool. Can you explain it in plain English? Uh, So, so, you know, parts of it is kind of like term policy. Parts of it's kind of like whole life policy. You know, again, it's one policy trying to be a lot of things. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes there are issues. What I always encourage people is that when they're talking to an agent and all of these kind of fancy sounding policies and concepts and products are being thrown at them, you want somebody to be able to explain it to you like you're an eight-year-old. You know, help me understand what this term policy is. Help me understand what this permanent policy is. Help me understand why you think I need this universal policy. And if you have questions, just keep asking and asking and asking until you're comfortable. Such good advice. This is a good spot for us to take a very quick break. When we come back, Andy, I want to dig into disability insurance, which people often say is even more important than life insurance. And we're also going to hear from an expert on long-term care. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. Andy Smith from Edelman Financial Engines is still around. We are talking about insurance. And before the break, we really dug into life insurance. Many people say disability insurance is even more important. In fact, I've heard disability insurance is the most needed, least sold form of insurance. Agree? I absolutely agree. So, I mean, think about what your most valuable asset is while you're working. Your most valuable asset while you are still working is your ability to produce an income stream. And if anything ever happens, if that suddenly stops, what's going to happen for everybody else who's left to pick up these pieces? And the problem is, is that even a brief period of disability can wreak absolute havoc 
on survivors' finances. And the problem is, like you were talking about, people just either don't know what it is, don't know that it's available, or they find some reason not to have this. So why don't they have it? I mean, the reason that I hear time and time again is, do you know how much it costs? Yeah, that's well, that's that's one reason, right? So the the expense is one. The other thing is the, the mental and the emotional bias that bad stuff only happens to somebody else. You know, you're driving down the highway, you see the accident on the side of the road, everybody stops, you know, and, and sees what's going on. Well, that would never happen to me. I'm the best driver in the right. world. Nothing's ever going to happen. So- <laughs> Bad things are going to happen. And when bad things happen, no matter how much you think something costs ahead of time, what's going to happen when you don't have that? And now your survivors, your family has to make some pretty serious decisions about what's going to happen with an income stream. As in, who's going to pay the mortgage? Right. Who's going to pay utilities? Who's going to send, you know, junior to school? Like all these different things. It's important Your most valuable asset is this income stream. And when that's gone, you guys are toast. And and the fact is, I mean, I am right now a really great example of the fact that life just happens all the time, right? I mean, I am not on camera today and I'm not on camera today because my face looks like a mile of road, right? I was engaged in that very high contact sport of running and went head over my sneakers and my face just hit the pavement on the Ben Franklin Bridge in Philadelphia. And now I got lucky. My nose is not broken. It was broken the last time I did this. Um, But things happen all the time. Things happen all the time. We had some uh, pretty serious health issues uh, with family last year. And February 21st and before, we're going one direction. February 22nd and after, your life completely changes. You know, it's like Ferris Bueller at the end of the movie, right? Life moves pretty fast (laughs) and you're not ready for it. Well, when you have the insurance, when you have, and we'll talk about this, short-term disability or long-term disability or what we were talking about before with term or whole life or all these other things, you have the ability to adjust. You have the ability to adapt and it's not easy if things change. It's not easy if the primary wage earner is laid up for a period of time. But the idea is you have these abilities with these disability policies that we'll talk about to get over either a short-term hump or a longer-term hump to get out to the other side. So what are the costs? And I know that there are two different ways to buy it. If you have the ability to get it from an employer through a group policy, you do that because it is often much cheaper. So let's talk about the costs. So the costs, um, you know, oddly enough, it's expensive when you have something to insure. You know, don't be surprised when when the agent comes back and says, hey, this is what it's going to cost. All that means is that you have this incredible need for these different disability policies. So there's a couple of different types. Short term gets you through kind of a short period of time, anywhere between three months to a year. I like people to think about it as kind of a a minor speed bump or a minor roadblock. You're still going to get to where you're going. Everything's probably going to stay the same. It's just there's this period of time where you need to replace or have the ability to replace some percentage of income. Short-term disability usually is somewhere between 40% and 60% of what your income is. A lot of times you receive those benefits taxed because a lot of times your employer is paying 
for these benefits. But it's a finite period of time. You're going to be fine. You just need some help getting across that that bridge. The other is long-term disability. And long-term means longer than that shorter period of time, typically. Longer term. So this is not that little speed bump. It's not that kind of minor diversion. Um, So you would use long-term disability when the short-term disability runs out. Sometimes it would last for a period of years, could even last all the way to age 65. With long-term disability, you get a little bit more, oftentimes 66 and two-thirds percent of what your income stream was but it's going to be around a lot longer. With long-term disability, you have the same options. Sometimes you see those employer-paid benefits. When the employer pays, you personally, it's not coming from you, right? So anything that you get, you're going to be taxed on those benefits. That's why a lot of times I like people to consider a supplemental plan because anything that you pay, any, any, any dollar that you spend, when you get the benefits back, that's going to be a non-taxed benefit. A lot of people get confused by the fact that even if you're buying one of those supplemental policies, you're not really going to be able to get more than, say, 70-ish percent of your total income. Why is that? Well, that's just the way the world works. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, um, you're insuring for an indefinite period of time. And so when these policies are priced, you realize that this is not going to be a policy that just completely takes the place of of everything that you had coming in. Well, they want you to have reason to go back to work. Correct. And so then you look at own occupation, any occupation, what type of disability that it is. A lot of times we see that people think, you know, oh, I don't need any sort of disability policy because social security disability. And hey, guess what? Only about 31% of applicants get approved for SSDI. So don't think that Uncle Sam is kind of this end-all, be-all, you know, payout for you. You have to look at what your short-term disability policy could cover, what your long-term disability could cover. You have to go at it as though nobody else is going to take care of you except yourself. Yeah. And just as we were talking before about those single people who may or may not need life insurance, they have to have disability insurance because if there's nobody providing a backup income, you're pretty cooked. Correct. So if there's no other earner, if there's no kind of inherent family wealth to draw from, you're it. And you've always been it. So what you're basically doing is looking at when you're going to get the money. A lot of times I like people to think when you're talking term, when you're talking whole life, you personally are never going to touch the dollars that come to the family. When you talk about short-term disability and long-term disability, you personally are going to have the ability to touch these dollars because you're still around, you're still with us. Absolutely. All right. You checked off two of the items on my list. Life insurance, done. Disability insurance, done. Next up is a big one, long-term care. So we've brought in some extra help with this important topic. Rob Bain is with us. He is the insurance senior manager at Edelman Financial Engines with more than 18 years of experience in the insurance industry. He's licensed in all 50 states, and he has the certification in long-term care. Rob, welcome. Thanks so much for being here in studio. Thanks, Jean. Great to be here. So let's just put it out there. What is it? When we're talking about long-term care, LTC coverage, as people like to call it, what is it? Long-term care is a range of services provided for people who can't care for themselves. 
So daily functions like bathing or dressing or eating, if somebody is unable to do those without assistance, that's where long-term care services come in and aids help with those daily activities, as we call them, or ADLs. So one of the things that we talked about earlier was the fact that about 55 million people are going to need some form of long-term care, some sort of, of home care, something at the end of life. To put numbers around that, when we say 55 million, there are 19 million or so people still with us from the silent generation. There's about 70 million boomers. So this is like, look to the left, look to the right. One of the three of you is going to be in a situation where you need this. What is the importance of having this long-term care? Well, like you said, I mean, I think the statistic we hear most often is 70% of today's 65-year-olds are going to need some level of care. You know, the the importance in terms of a planning perspective is the insurance piece, right? Where Mm -hmm. the cost of care is enormous. The the national average cost of a private room in a nursing home, according to Genworth Cost of Care, is $108,000 a year. But if you move up into the Northeast, into states like Connecticut, Massachusetts, that range could be $160,000 to $180,000 a year. So, you know, the chances of having hundreds of thousands of dollars leave your retirement portfolio to pay for care is a pretty serious thing that we need to plan for. Andy and I were earlier digging into the different types of life insurance policy, term and whole and universal. When we're talking about long-term care policies, there are differences as well. Can you take us through those? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Two broad categories, if we will, what we call traditional policies and hybrid policies. So traditional policies are going to be more affordable, uh, but they have two inherent downsides, if you will. One, I think you've already talked about, which is the potential of premiums to increase during the time you own the policy. And the second being what people call use it or lose it, right? Where I pay for a policy, I pay premiums for 20, 30 years. And if I died suddenly without needing care, well, then I, I paid for a benefit that was never used. Hybrid policies are generally life insurance contracts where we can spend the death benefit and then some on that care. So it fixes those problems. It has a premium that never changes. And in that scenario where somebody dies suddenly without needing care, at least a beneficiary is going to get that death benefit. Well, and we know also in in recent years and because of nuances, I think, in underwriting and the fact that these policies started to pay out a lot more than these carriers thought they were going to have to pay out or need to pay out. Some big insurers like Genworth and John Hancock and Transamerica, they've stopped even selling those individual policies. Right now, you've got Mutual of Omaha, you've got New York Life, you've got National Guardian, but we've seen a rise in the companies stepping into the hybrid space, Lincoln and Nationwide, Pack Life. So it's been a changing landscape. Yeah, and you talk about Genworth. So what I've had to do with a lot of clients is they've gotten these love letters saying, your policy premiums are going to increase could be a rather substantial astronomical amount over a four or five year period. I know what we have to do as we kind of start to price out and think about what some scenarios could be as we look at that. What would you suggest people do if they do receive that policy premium letter or the, the policy premium increase letter? Premium increase letter. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like you talked about earlier on with life insurance, there really isn't a one size fits all approach here. So, What we can do is we look at a client's benefits compared to what the cost of care is in their area. 
um, and take into consideration other factors like age and health and financial resources to determine what's the best path forward. If they have a piece of the policy where they might be slightly overinsured, maybe we can trim that benefit a little bit in order to mitigate some of the premium increase. In some cases, we might say, you know what, we can't afford to cut benefits. We just have to accept the higher premium and and live with it, so to speak, for now. I was telling Andy that I dug into this for my AARP column recently because we wrote a column about a woman shopping for long-term care and got a ton of letters from people complaining that their premiums had really gone up this year. And my mother got one of those letters. Now, fortunately, her premium was only going up 10%, which, you know, was modest compared to a lot of these increases, and she could afford it. But we had a conversation where I basically said, and my mother is 82 and she's healthy, but I said, you know, if you can't pay this, I will pay this. Because if you're the adult child and something happens to your parent, you're likely going to step in anyway. And I would suggest that adult children, if they can afford to, get involved in these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. You, you can't afford to be without the coverage, right? So let's get creative about how we can keep that benefit in place because it's an important piece of your, of your plan. The other nuance that was really fascinating to me was that often these policies are for couples, right? And if you are looking at making a choice, at trimming back some of the benefits in order to afford the premium, you shouldn't be trimming it back for the woman. That's true. Yeah. So one of the things that we try to, to help people understand is that whatever you think something's going to cost later in life, it's going to be more. Whatever, however long that you may think that you could live, what happens if it's much longer than that? And so to your point about your mother, uh, what you're basically doing is finding a way to identify and calculate a known cost. Does it grind your teeth that the policy premium's going up? Yes, but it's a defined amount. And then all of a sudden, you don't know what the cost is going to be. It's either you know that you're going to pay this or you basically spin the roulette wheel and you don't know what's going to come at you down the road. Yeah, I I was interested in what you were saying, Rob, about some people potentially being overinsured. So when you are recommending to people how much coverage they should buy, how do you ballpark those numbers? The coverage we recommend is for clients to look at a daily or a monthly benefit that will cover 60 to 70% of the cost of a private room in a nursing home in their area, at least three years of benefit for the first spouse needing care, and we want to include automatic compound benefit inflation of at least 3%. And when we do have a couple, we like shared care riders so that if one uses up all their pool, they can dip into their spouse's pool to continue to pay for care. And on the flip side, if you've got coverage and you need to start to use it, right, you can no longer perform some of those activities of daily living. How do you prepare? The number one recommendation that I make to clients is to have an advocate. So that advocate could be uh, an adult child or could be a younger sibling, but somebody that can be coached up who understands your policy, what the benefits are, how it works, and at least how to start the claims process. Because let's face it, when somebody's in their 80s or 90s and needing care, they're not going to be in a position to wrestle with the insurance company about getting the claim started or approved or whatever the case may be. So that's number one. Number two would be don't wait. Don't hesitate. We want to start using that insurance company's money as soon as we can. 
Over the years, planners have shared with me stories about clients that delayed and paid for care out of pocket for a period of time. And unfortunately, a lot of those clients left benefits on the table, so to speak. So get started right away. I think one of the reasons is a, is a kind of a misunderstanding people have about how their benefits work in that the length of your benefits is driven by the dollars and not the days. Mm. For example, if I have a policy with a $6,000 monthly benefit and a three-year benefit period, I have a total policy limit of 216000 If I went into a nursing home day one and was spending 6000 or more every month, I would in fact use all that money in three years. But let's say I only need a little bit of help and I was using a home care agency and spending 3000 per month, half of my available monthly max. In that scenario, it's going to take me six years to spend that pot of money. So don't be afraid. Don't think that you're going to be kicked off of claim at the end of the 36-month benefit period. It's all driven by the dollar. So in a lot of cases, it's going to last longer. Has it always been driven by the dollar? Has it always been a pot of cash? Or is this a new tweak? It's always been that pot of money. And I think it's, a, it's an area of the policy that a lot of policyholders don't fully understand. When I talk to clients and explain that to them, a lot of times they're very surprised and pleasantly surprised to hear about that. Really insightful and, and very helpful. All right. Can you put some of your knowledge to work for one of our listeners who sent in a question? I'd love to. All right. And by the way, if you're listening and you have a question, go to everydaywealth.com. Scroll down to the blue box that says, ask a question, type in your info, send it my way, and we will get your question on the air if we possibly can. That's what Marta did. And here is her question. She writes, I recently purchased a whole life insurance policy with a long-term care insurance rider. I chose to make a one-time premium payment of $90,000. I chose this vehicle because I could pay one premium and get it over with. It was something that allowed a beneficiary rather than just money down the drain if I die and never need it, and it earns dividends. The benefit pool is $204,600 and growing. What I purchased will only cover about half the monthly cost expected in about 20 years if I end up needing care. This is $4,000 versus a predicted $10,000. But Social Security and my other retirement accounts should balance that out. Is this sufficient? There is a four-year cap for payout. What are the pros and the cons? What should I be concerned about? And what might have been a better plan? And she says, thank you. And by the way, I say thank you too, because I bought a hybrid policy and I have been wondering the very same thing because with inflation, these numbers just keep rising. And I was thinking maybe I need to go back and buy more. It's a great question. Um, Without being able to see the policy, I can't say for sure, but, you know, basically it sounds like a whole life policy with an LTC rider as opposed to a hybrid. And the biggest drawback with whole life with LTC rider is the lack of benefit inflation, the inflation that you do have as part of your hybrid plan. So if you're in your mid-60s now, by the time you're in your mid-80s, that cost of care could double, right? So that $4,000 benefit you have today that you're thinking is going to cover half of your potential cost of care might only cover a quarter of that cost when you're in your 80s. So that lack of inflation is a concern with, again, whole life with LTC rider because they pay out a defined amount. It's either 2% of the death benefit for 50 months or 4% of the death benefit for 25 months. And that, that benefit amount is locked in and never increases. You know, in terms of is that enough or is there something to be worried about? I think it would take a conversation to look at the entire picture, right? 
other assets and income in retirement that could be brought to bear in order to figure out if the benefit you have is sufficient or not. And just to put a point on what you said earlier, you mentioned traditional, you mentioned a whole life policy with a writer, and then there's the idea of the hybrid. Say one more time for people what the differences are between these different tools. They operate fairly distinctly. You can have more than one inside your long-term care portfolio, but say one more time what the differences are between traditional whole life with a rider and then the hybrid. Yeah, you bet. Let's start with whole life with the rider because that's pretty simple, right? So you're buying a permanent life insurance policy with a rider that says you can spend a percentage of that death benefit every month to pay for care for a certain amount of time. But what it doesn't do is inflate, right? So that benefit is stuck. It's fixed. Traditional LTC policies give you a benefit and the option to add inflation. So it's going to grow over time and it's going to be more affordable than the life insurance options we're talking about. The drawback again with the traditional is the premium can increase like your mom. uh, And we could be in a situation where somebody dies suddenly without using care. The hybrid plan solves those problems. It has inflation, so the benefit's going to grow. It has a premium that never changes. In some cases, it's a single premium you pay all at one time. And it's going to pay for care. It's going to pay a death benefit. Or in some cases, it's going to have some cash value. You're going to get a return of premium, if you will, if you quit somewhere along the way. It is a lot to consider, but you laid it out really clearly, Rob. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Gene. Appreciate it. And Andy, as always, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Please be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit us at everydaywealth.com. All of our episodes are there and available to you. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.